to the USA Hockey Podcast, a youth sports conversation focused on providing players, coaches, and parents with engaging and informative content that they can use at home and at the rink. Tune in as we chat with some of the greatest people around ice hockey and youth sports. Join the discussion on Twitter at USA Hockey Coach. Now, let's drop that puck. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the USA Hockey Podcast. Uh, We've just turned the corner on the one-year anniversary of the USA Hockey Podcast. So uh, for episode 24, we are welcoming on an absolute legend in ice hockey and the recently announced 2023 Lester Patrick Award winner, Joe Britannia. So, Joe, welcome on. Thanks. Pleasure to do this. Yeah, so before we get into into your history within coaching and uh, even within being a long history of being a commissioner, uh, I want to dig back just a few years. Um, and can you tell us about where where did this all begin in your journey through hockey, starting at those youth ranks? Well, like a lot of people associated with USA Hockey, I came from a hockey town. Uh, Arlington, Mass. is about 15 minutes from Boston and had a long um, history of success in high school hockey, and primarily because there was a gentleman named Ed Burns who coached for 50 years, and um, he was there from about 47 to 97, and I was right in the middle in uh, 68, 69, that period, and they had won numerous state championships, and in those days in Boston, the professional sports didn't dominate the media coverage like they do now, so high school sports was a big thing, and and uh, and it was the first kind of concrete goal I had. My older brother played for the high school, and I wanted to do the same thing. You know, you jump ahead all these years. My wife's father and two uncles played for the same coach, my brother and myself. So he created quite a tradition. And back in those days, you could put guys into college hockey directly from a public high school, which obviously with the, the rise of junior hockey, you don't, you don't see that anymore. So that's certainly the origin of, of falling in love and 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 actually going from you know street hockey or pond to playing in the Boston Garden where the state tournament was held, not quite as big as the Minnesota state tournament, but it put you on a stage where other people could see you. And my my recruitment to Harvard came directly from uh, playing in the state tournament, and the referee was the Harvard freshman coach uh, Bill Cleary, uh, an Olympian, uh, gold medal winner, silver medal winner. Um, so I, it, so it all came together that way from playing for this one guy and having success at the high school level. Yeah, that's great. And so, um, you talk about your, your time, uh, you said playing street hockey and playing on the pond and, you know, that's something that's kind of, uh, in our current day and age, it's kind of something that we don't do as much. Can you tell me about like, what do you, what are some things you feel like you learned from, from playing on the pond or playing uh, a lot of street hockey? Well, you, it's you grow up. I mean, you learn uh, you learn how to include people that you want to include, and you exclude the jerks. You know, you make up teams, you make up your rules. Uh, you don't have adults supervising. You, you have to learn how to solve problems. Um, you know, it, baseball was even more iconic in that sense. <clears throat> if two guys showed up on a field, you could hit out of your hand and make a narrow field. And if you had three guys, you had a pitcher. And if you had four, you had two teams. And and everybody seamlessly, the older kids included the younger kids. And um, who knows what we have lost by not having that and having so much of the hockey players' time only in organized hockey. Um, you know, there are great stories of people. I remember Gordie Howe's 
autobiography, the first time he ever had a full hockey uniform on was his first game in junior hockey. I mean, he never had a uniform and you just went out and did what you could do. So, you know, you try different positions, you, you learn to be creative. One of my laments about goaltending today is the lack of creativity. We have so many coaches and so many opportunities for kids to be formally coached. I think they're overcoached and I know I'm getting ahead of ourselves here, but I think the, the creativity that comes from free time and exploring things and not worrying about making mistakes because there are no adults with you, um, a, a big part of that is lost. Yeah, that's, it's really, I mean, it's really interesting. And I heard you speak in Boston uh, at the Silver this past year, and you talked about a lot of these different concepts. And uh, to your point, we will get into that because I would love to talk a little bit about, about some of your coaching philosophies because you were really a, a trendsetter in that position and in goalie coaching. And so you, you mentioned you went on to, to play at Harvard and um, actually went on to eventually after you finished begin uh, the women's program or was a big part of beginning the women's program over at Harvard. And then uh, a long, quite a long time as the goalie coach for the Boston Bruins. And it's almost maybe a little bit of uh, um, some foreshadowing. You talked about even playing there uh, in high school as well. Um, and then the longest, uh, or I guess um, more recently, the longest serving commissioner in college hockey. And, and so you You've done all of these things uh, within hockey, and we don't need to get into to all of them because we'll be here for hours and hours. But you know, all of this has led to a multi you receiving a multitude of different honors uh, leading up till now. And you know, I'll probably miss some things here because your career and your resume is something that it would take a really long time for us to go through. But um, you're a member of the Mass Hockey Hall of Fame, the ECAC Hockey Women's Bean Pot. Mass High School Hockey Coaches Association uh, Hall of Fames. Then you were the 2017 recipient of USA Hockey's Distinguished Service Award, and then now the Lester Patrick Award winner. So um, saying all those things is, is a mouthful, but you've given back so much to hockey. Uh, what is it that drives you to do all of this? So it's a little embarrassing. Um, I don't know if you know Mike Snee. Mike Snee is a Minnesota guy who heads College Hockey Inc., which is a kind of a promotional arm of Division One College Hockey, and he's a great guy. And I had said to him, you know, you, you have all these privileges and benefits and you have mentors and and you get to live a life of hockey where you make friends. You, In my case, you made a living. And then you get to be 70 and they give you rewards for it. And Mike said, yeah, it's like on a Sunday night, they give you a trophy for having a good weekend. And, uh, and I laughed because... You, you don't set out to like, all right, I'm going to set out to give back. You, 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 in many ways, to, and this is half true, half kind of joking. I never left the toy department. You know, I, I never left. I had a friend of mine who wrote in the sports, the sports section for the Boston Globe, and she used to refer to the, in this heavy national newspaper, international newspaper, the toy department was the sports department. So I never wanted to wear a suit and go to an office building and, and deal with people's money or be a doctor or be a lawyer. I, I've, I've never left the academic calendar. You know, my year begins the day after Labor Day and it still does. And I still have games to go to. And, and uh, I do a weekly poll for USA Hockey on Mondays. I, I've done two interviews today on this stuff. I, um, I go get on the ice and work with goalies still. I'm right, I've finished writing another book. I mean, I've really been very, very lucky and so for all these opportunities, you need people to open the doors for you to give you the chance. And then um, 
in my particular case, because of the different juggling of jobs, you need people who will allow you to do more than one thing. So contractually, when I was a commissioner, I always had it in my contract that I could coach goalies and I could do the American Hockey Coaches Association. My the, the press release on the award didn't even mention the American Hockey Coaches Association and I've worked there for 33 years. So I've had people who have given me the permission to wear these different hats. And in a way, it's been fairly selfish because I'm the, the beneficiary of having different things to do in a given week. But by definition, I can't give any one of my employers 100% of my time. So I could probably have done a better job in each of those things if it was the only thing I was doing. So there was a little selfishness in pursuing the multiple jobs and, and asking them to allow me to indulge in that. And you don't think of it as giving back. You think of it as, hey, I'm still on this ride. I'm still in hockey. Now, I used to say, and I still do sometimes, that I'd wake up on a Monday and feel like I worked for hockey. And I said that once in front of an athletic director at Hockey East, and they kind of raised their eyebrow and they said, well, you know, the check we give you doesn't say, isn't signed by hockey. It's signed by Hockey East, so don't forget that you work for us. And I think he was trying to bust my chops a little bit. But I, I, I did have that attitude, maybe not consciously, but subconsciously, that I worked for the game. Because in a given week, I was doing something for hockey seven days, but not for one entity. And so... And I think it also helped me make sure I wasn't just a Boston guy or just a goalie guy. You know, I was the chair of the NCAA rules committee. And I think a lot of times issues would come up and they think, oh, you're just going to take the goalie side. And I didn't. I mean, uh, one of the big issues is goaltender interference. And I will see goalies leave their crease and interact with a player. And I would say, wait a minute, they have all the rights they should have in the crease. But once they leave the crease, they can't interfere with an offensive the offensive player has the right to that space outside the crease so i tried not to be just a goalie guy i tried not to be just an eastern guy and i wanted to be a hockey guy and i think collectively all of these different jobs and positions allowed me to live that live that through yeah that's i, I love the way that you look at it and i love you calling it the uh the toy department you can <laughs> Yeah, and look at the news and look at the heavy things that are going on in the world. And I'm worried about whether I have to suspend an 18-year-old junior player for whacking somebody from behind, you know. And uh, I know it's important in his life that he has to miss a game, but it's in the big scheme of things, it's it's still a hockey game. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. And, I mean, you to your point, you, you spent a, a, a lot of time as a commissioner. What – what led you down the path of kind of pursuing uh, getting involved as a commissioner in the, in the multiple leagues that you did? Um, Bill Cleary, who was my Harvard coach, um, suggested I go for the internship that the ECAC offered. And the ECAC was a um, 360 school organization before a proliferation of leagues were formed. It kind of, had the market in the East for assigning officials, doing running tournaments, doing press releases, players of the week, honors, all that stuff. And uh, they started an intern program that actually got very successful. Dave Ogren from USA Hockey was an intern after me. Uh, Jeff Schulman, who's currently the AD at Vermont, was an intern. Tom Jackson was a guy who negotiated TV contracts for a number of conferences. So I was the second intern back in 77, I think it was. 
And, uh, and, and it kind of started that dual thing while I was the intern, I was coaching the JV hockey team at Harvard and Bill Cleary had gotten me that job. Um, and then right from that, the, uh, a job in sports information opened up. So I ended up juggling coaching and administration at my alma mater. And, and Bill also asked me, Hey, the girls, as he said, it instead of the women, the women want to have a, a program. And, uh, all we have is like 500 bucks. You, you, you want to coach it while you're doing your sports information thing? I said, sure. So that and, and uh, the great Tim Taylor, another Olympic coach in USA hockey history, I would live with him in the summer and work his summer camp. And, and that's how I started my own summer camp as, as breaking off from him. In, in a way, I kind of sold myself as a adult the way I packaged myself to get into college. You know, you apply to college as a student or an athlete, then you get out in the real world and, and I don't know how real the hockey world is, but I packaged myself again as somebody who could be as comfortable on the ice coaching as I was in an office uh, writing and communicating. So um, it's going full circle in a way because after I lost the Hockey East job a few years ago, the commissioners hired me to be there, in effect, their SID, you know, their media guy. And this year is my last year as the executive director of the Coaches Association, but they're going to give me a year as their media director. So I'm going to end up <laughs> doing press releases and publications, uh, which is the way I started. I love that. That's awesome. And then now you are with the uh, East, is it Eastern Hockey Eastern, League? Yeah, Correct. Eastern Hockey League. And I'm flying to Rochester tomorrow to see a couple of all-star games. Our young guys are playing uh, for two uh, SUNY schools, Fredonia and Brockport. And we, uh, we picked up a win yesterday against Southern New Hampshire. So, you know, we were 18 to 20 year old guys. We put about 150 guys a year into division three. Uh, what I, one of the things that impressed me about them when I when they approached me was that they didn't try to oversell who they are. They they really are a feeder to NCAA Division Three hockey. And occasionally, somebody goes from the EHL to a a different league, and then down the road they make it to D one. Jeremy Swayman played in the EHL, but for the most part, the level of hockey is putting guys into NCAA D three, and they do a very good uh, very good job. We have twenty three teams that at one level and, and a few less at a, at a, at a P level we have. So I've, I've enjoyed it. Yeah. We, uh, I, I coach club hockey, uh, ACHA division one hockey out here in Kent. We actually got a few uh, of those team Maryland guys from last year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, came over and are playing with us. They've been fantastic kids, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's a really good level of hockey uh, for tier three junior. It's, it's, it's really good to watch. It's really well organized. Uh, and there's some really good players that, that are coming out of there for sure. Yeah, we do we do a nice job with showcases where we bring all the college coaches together and all the teams in one rink. And we've we've already had one and we're gonna have another one at Christmas time. And and then these all-star games are another way to market the kids. And it all comes down to the coaches. We have great coaches who uh who get it. You know, they do the right thing. They're, they're trying to put a team together and win games, but they know what they're there for to to bring these guys along. We, you know, we also are developing referees and Sometimes the coaches don't want to hear that we're also developing referees because we have young referees, but we are. And uh, um, every once in a while, we'll get a group of refs who move on to college hockey or the AHL, and, they, and they'll come back and give us a few games because they appreciate this is where they started. And, uh, and, and that's a big bonus for us as well. Yeah, and so I, I want to bring things back a little bit because we've, we've toyed around with it, but uh, you have been – an incredible impact, not just on hockey and obviously receiving all the accolades that you have, but you've, you've made an incredible impact on the goaltending community. 
so can you talk about your time with the Boston Bruins as a goalie coach and then um, even then move into some of the growth that you've seen uh, from then till now in the goalie coaching position? So I was with the Bruins from 85 to 91 and then again for half a strike shortened season. And at the time, Warren Stralo, was, who was last year's Lester Patrick award winner, he was really the only NHL goalie coach. And he, he of course, made his name in the 80 um, Olympics. Um, so teams did not make it a priority to have goaltending coaches. And I was part-time the, the five years I was there. I was working with the ECAC and doing the Bruins on the side. And I had never played at that level, and there was no handbook on how to do it. Um, Mike Milbury had just retired as a player and was interviewing people in the Boston area because he wanted to kind of upgrade the Bruins with scouts in Europe and a sports psychologist and now a goalie coach. And uh, my name kept coming up when people asked him about who coaches goalies in the area. Um, so by 85, I had been running my summer camps for 13 years. And uh, kind of passed the audition type of thing. I think I went in and met Pete Peters and, and Doug Keens. I think they were the goalies. So given that I hadn't played at that level, I, and I was as much of a fan as I was a coach, you know, you go in there and you're on the ice with Ray Bork and Cam Neely. And uh, I was 35 years old, I think. Um, I was smart enough to realize I wasn't going to go in there and coach guys who were better than I was. But I could be a liaison between the goalies and the head coaches. And I could ask the goalies a lot of questions. And often one of my techniques was, when you're not playing well, what will I see? And those guys had enough of self-confidence that they would answer it, honestly. Uh, only once, when I was with the Milwaukee Admirals, we had a goalie who had been in the NHL and he was on his way down and a little bitter. He didn't like the question. I think he thought I was trying to trick him into admitting he didn't do something well. But most of them had good answers. And I thought it was a helpful technique to learn about the goalies and then just factually if, if they say that's when they get in trouble i'd look for it and some of the stuff was pretty subtle i mean andy moog uh who i believe is a goalie coach now um he was about five foot eight stand-up goalie um but his answer was um i over anticipate sometimes when there's puck movement i want to i want to arrive with the puck not ahead of the puck and i thought i wish that was my biggest problem but uh when you thought about it, you know, if, if there's a if there's an opening to your left and somebody's pat and pucks passed over there, if you're late getting to that hole, you can almost guarantee the guy's going to try to shoot in that hole. But if you're early, if you read it and you anticipate and you get there before the puck, a good player is going to see you're filling that hole and think, all right, why would I just shoot it into him? I'm going to come across the front of the net or I'm going to pass it back to somebody. And in a way, being anticipating so well almost creates a harder situation for you. And so that was the level of conversation you could have at, at that level, you know, as opposed to when you're dealing with little kids and you're just trying to get them to stay on their feet or move out or things like that. So I I, I got by with a bunch of different goalies. And, and I think part of it was that I, I asked questions and I was supportive of them as opposed to coming in there and thinking I had all the answers. And I love that because you said something earlier about um, how nowadays we the goalie coach position has changed a lot where we tend to be a little bit more prescriptive as, as a whole or generally speaking. And I would imagine kind of asking those questions and you just saying, Hey, I haven't been here at this level, but being really good at asking questions, you can kind of guide their learning. And, and you talked about that almost pull out some creativity from these, from these goaltenders. 
Yeah, and I think what's happened now, at least in the Boston area, and I don't, I can't believe we're unique. I mean, maybe maybe there's the the big hockey markets, Twin Cities, Boston, uh, Detroit, but there are competing goalie people in here, and a lot of them have small areas uh, to work with. Rick Wamsley used to call it studios. They, the guys learn how to play hockey in a studio. Um, and there's the, the economics of it. These guys are trying to make a living as opposed to, you know, I, I had my summer camp and then I did my other things, but these guys are full-time goalie coaches. And to make a living, they need to convince these families that they have to come to them every week. And the families have bought into it. So now you've got guys who used to skate six days a week and take a day off. They might go to their private guy on the, on the seventh day. So they never leave the ice. That in itself, I think is a problem. Second, Everything they know and they learn is in this small area. So the angles are different. The, just getting a, a, a lot of shots isn't the same as knowing how to play goal. But I think one of the things we've produced now is because there's so much coaching out there, I rarely at the high school level, I still work with high school goalies, I rarely see a bad goalie, like a really bad goalie. And they're all coached to a certain degree so that at the prep school level in New England, which is pretty good hockey, I see every week the opponent comes into our rink with a goalie who's 5'11 to 6'4, uh, plays very vertical, tracks, 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 drops, tracks, 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 but drops. And they drop by default. They don't seem to distinguish one situation from another. And because they've been taught to make saves and to fill the net and, they, and they're so big, I don't think I see anybody that I'd grade below a B minus, you know? I'm not sure I see anybody at grade above a B plus or an A minus. I don't see that guy that goes, wow, that guy was really different. You know, he really, he stayed up a lot longer than most of them. He got up to his feet sooner than most of them. He didn't default to the RVH. He, he waited. Uh, he realized the guy with the puck had no option other than to shoot. So he just stayed in his feet. I mean, I don't see the smart goalie. Um, I see safe goalies. They play safe. And they've and we've reduced the bottom, but we haven't elevated the guys to the top. So USA Hockey wants to have fifty percent of the goalies by two thousand thirty. It's a bold uh, goal to have, and I, I I don't know that we're doing the things we have to do to allow for creative, independent thinking. You know, guys that can break out of the B B minus to B plus range. So with that said, if uh, if Let's just say you're you're coaching that level and you get a goalie that comes in and he's exactly what you described. What would be something that a goalie could do, a goalie coach could do to help kind of get that goalie out of that almost like a goalie lab mindset, right? And, and get them into those how like how do we foster that creative problem solving in our goalies? Yeah, it, it's it's a good question. So I I did a clinic in my hometown a few weeks ago and I'm handicapped a little bit because I'm a 71 year old guy and I show up and I got the old white skates and I might need help getting up, whatever. And, and, uh, and I find that the same technique that worked with the pros 40 years ago works with high school kids. Now I ask them a lot of questions and I'll play dumb a little bit. Hey, tell me about this RVH. You know, when, when do you, do you use it? And they'll, they'll, yeah. So when do you go into it? What? I said, well, you know, where's the puck, puck carry? When do you start the move? You know, I force them to articulate. Okay, and where are your hands? What? Like, where are your hands? You showed me you're leaning into, the, where are your hands? And a lot of them haven't thought about their hands. 
They just get the, they, they want to seal, they want to lean, they know where the pads are, they don't know where the hands are. I, I saw the guy goes behind the net. What do you do? Oh, we push across. When do you get up? What? <laughs> when do you get up? Uh, then they start to think I'm it's like a quiz and and they and they're looking for the right answer. So they they reverse it. Well, I go down when the puck's below the circle. So I get up when the puck's above the circle. I say, yeah, but I've watched you play. You don't do that. And now they're 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 upset, like I tricked them. And uh so you, you ask them where they get their coaching from. You find out they all go to somebody once a week and you ask them, do you believe everything you, you're told? And they're, they're, they're surprised to get a question like that. And I think because the parents are paying a lot of money to the guy, they, they're going to do whatever they're told. And I try to say, oh, you know, it's all right to disagree. You can disagree with me right now if you want. And I said, but you gotta, you got to start asking questions about what works for you, not what everybody else does. Have you ever been told something that you didn't think was that you didn't agree with? And they kind of sheepishly go, oh, yeah, sometimes. Well, then challenge them. Challenge them. And you know, at the end of the day, results matter. So you got to find the way to get the best results, not just with the guy you, your parents are paying 200 bucks an hour for or whatever it is. Well, yeah, you you raise such a good point because oftentimes it, goalies of different shapes, sizes, speeds, everything, they'll say, sometimes they'll say the same thing because maybe, once again, they have the same goalie coach who says you have to get into the RVH here or they watch a video that's the same and says you have to get up here. And, well, at the end of the day, each goalie's different. They move differently. They have, like, they take up different uh, space in the net. Uh, one goalie who's a lot quicker uh, maybe they're smaller and they have to be more aggressive and they have to play a certain way versus the big tall guy who maybe is, maybe they're a little bit slower. That's just what we kind of tend to see. Um, but maybe that is through that, that overcoaching almost. And um, you're absolutely right that, well, each one is going to be different for each player and they kind of have to answer that question on their own. Yeah. I mean, I don't think, and I don't know. I mean, I, I haven't signed up and gone through one of these sessions to, or been a fly on the wall, but, you know, there, there are two concepts that I preach all the time. One is depth. I think depth is underplayed these days because the guys are so big and they, they're taught to play a little bit deeper. So they're never really too far from the post after the first flurry. But if you're a little guy, you can't play deep. You, you've got to learn to read and when you can just steal a step or maybe two steps sometimes. So depth is important. I mean, if they ever reduce the upper body stuff so you look like a normal hockey player, you'd have uh, you'd have to uh, worship uh, the concept of depth. You'd have to come out and then all of a sudden an athletic goalie would have a better chance. And the other is timing. Um, it's I've always felt that as a player is approaching, I'm trying to anticipate where and when it's going to come together. Where and when am I going to have to act? Where and when am I going to have to go? And the timing of your moves is key. And I see so many guys leave their feet before they have to. And then they'll stay down longer than they have to. And I, I started doing a drill uh, two summers ago where I had a, maybe a line of three shooters 10 feet from the top of the crease. So each guy would take a pass from the corner and one time it. Goldie would move off the post, drop and smother. Blow the whistle, the line of shooters would retreat 15 feet. Same drill, three shots. Blow the whistle, they'd retreat another 10 feet. And somewhere in the sequence, they would should, I should notice that they move out and they wait for the guy to release the puck 
The first three, they have to drop. The guy's so close. The last three, they're so far away, there's no excuse for them not to be on their feet and wait to see. But somewhere in the middle is a different spot for a different guy. Could be how well they skate, could be how confident they are, how big they are. But for some of them, they drop on all nine shots because their default is to go down right before somebody releases a puck. And then you end up with the guy that's on his knees reaching up to get a shot that's three and a half feet off the ice, but just under the crossbar. And they might stop it, but they put it in all kinds of places. They're not very good on the rebound control because their body's going down while their arm is going up. Yeah, and I mean, you talk about that uh, that depth too, and I always like to call it like kind of like net awareness, knowing where you are relative to the net, and knowing you know how far out you are, where like, and what I see a lot too, to your point, is shots that go wide on these goalies. They tend to get out, they drop, and then all of a sudden they're scrambling. Yeah, all of a sudden they're trying the to they're side. way, yeah, they're way behind the play, and it's you know how do really the question once again is like how do we how do we teach that as coaches? Because I think a lot of goalie coaches struggle with teaching the um, the things where goalies have to make a read and make a decision. Once again, we we always go to the defaults as goalie coaches, and our goalies end up going to the defaults. But how do we teach them to make those reads? So that's a great word you used earlier, awareness. Um, and I think you might have said depth awareness, but it's also situational awareness. So if a guy's going to get a puck in the slot and 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 I'm I see he's about to get it, my awareness has to extend to when he gets it. What are his options? And if you scan the the situation, you realize he he's not going to have time to do anything but shoot. He's got nobody to give it to, and I've got a teammate closing in on him. That awareness allows you to really move out into him in a way you might not if he had somebody he could dump the puck off to. You know, if he had not if he had another option. You take a step instead of two steps, you know, because you don't want the play to end up behind you. So that's that's a, a certain level of awareness. Um, when a, a puck leaves a guy's stick, I don't know if awareness is the right word or or assessment or whatever it is, but to know that it's going to miss the net on the short side, so you don't drop and explode, but you start to push off to the other post because you you got an A in geometry and you know it's going to come out the other side. So I'll see one or two goals a year. Uh, with the same goalie that gets beat because they overplay a, a shot that misses the net. Now, in some cases you can, they're screened, they're just going to drop and it hits a, a, a kick plate that's live and it, nothing you can do about that. But if you watch a goalie over and over again and he, and he, he doesn't read those plays very well, he, he doesn't realize that shot's going to miss the net and he explodes on everything, then that's a problem. A correctable problem, but it's it's definitely a problem. Yeah, I, I wish I would have known that in the district finals of my state <laughs> tournament because that's exactly how we lost was a shot from the point, missed the net. I went down and right on the tape of a guy's stick on the on the back door. Um, but yeah, I mean, with our some of the goalies I work with now, uh, we'll do a, an activity where the players will do something different, just depends on what we're working on. Um, but the goalie's objective is if it's on net, you're allowed to do whatever you want. If the yep. puck misses the net, you have to stay on your feet. And so my instructions to the to the players are, I want you to intentionally miss the net sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so now they have to make that decision. They have to make that read. And they develop some of that 
like once again, I call it net awareness, but depth awareness is a big part of that too. Angle awareness is a big part of that. Um, I had a goalie at a summer thing I was doing for somebody else, 17 year old prep goalie. And I noticed on every shot he was on his knees and and a lot of the shots were being taken from just in, you know, it was like a shooting drill, you know, opposite corners, give and go, whatever. But most of the shots were 40 to 50 feet away. And he's a big kid. So I waited for a break. And I said, well, why are you on your knees? He said, well, a lot of those shots were low. I said, yeah, a lot of them were low. I said, but a lot of them were chest high. And you reached up. And I said, why wouldn't you wait to see where the shot goes? And uh, he said, well, you know, if I give up a rebound, I think I'd rather be on my knees to play the rebound. I said, well, that's an interesting answer because you're almost guaranteeing you're going to give up rebounds the way you're playing them. If you stood up on high shots, you could catch them, uh, deflect them in the corner with your blocker or trap them against your chest. A lot of things you could do where there wouldn't be a rebound. And then he got frustrated. He goes, well, that's how I play. I said, all right. I, I just drove an hour and a half to work with you. I don't know who you are, but I'm not coming back. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's definitely a lot that uh, I, I think the pendulum is starting to swing. I think we're going to see some change going back the other way where we've gone from uh, to your point, the goalies that are we have we used to have so many unique goalies back in the day. Yeah. Um, to the point that you're right, like they all kind of look and play a little bit similar I, at the NHL level. You can see some differences, but I I do think at some point the pendulum will start to swing back to to settle somewhere in the middle between the two. So part of the reason I got into coaching goalies or had the passion for it is that I never saw myself as a a natural athlete. Um, I thought I got by a lot on on being a fairly smart guy that could figure out, you know, read plays and so forth. So when I was with the Bruins as a coach in my mid thirties, everyone, I think two or three times I practiced with them. The goalie was had a cold or a brew, you know, nothing to bring up another goalie. They just shot a goalie, and I said, "Oh, I can do that." And uh, if they did shooting drills, I wasn't very good. You know, if they just came down and shot, I even though I was a division one college goalie, but when they scrimmaged, I, my, my faults weren't as obvious because in scrimmaging, you get to use your head more. You can read and pick your spots, whatever. Whereas shooting is just a physical test. Cam Neely once had me stay out afterwards. He, he was would toe, toe drag a puck and snap it, toe drag a puck and snap. It. And he put eight shots over my left shoulder in a row. And he said, are you trying? I said, yes, I'm trying. I'm a, I'm a 37-year-old, slightly overweight goalie coach. What do you want me to do? But when they scrimmaged, I could play off of my teammates. I could do all those skills that I had developed to make up for maybe not having grade A athletic ability. And so I think part of wanting to break down the position was to see if I can teach the things that I seem to have learned innately to goalies that have both, who who can think like a goalie, but also have physical skills. And then, then you can really make somebody a better, go- you know, you can re- make everybody a little bit better, but you could really make somebody special if they combine the physical strengths and the mental skills. And uh, one of my favorite, I don't know if I told this that day in Boston, but I might have, because I like telling it, but one of my favorite moments as a goalie was I was in a senior tournament, adult tournament in Canada. And we're shorthanded, the other team's moving the puck around and I get knocked down, the guy falls on me. 
and the puck goes back to the point, and I read right away with this guy's going to shoot in or open that over me. There's nothing I can do. So the guy that's on me is trying to get off me. I grab his jersey, and I start yelling, "Get off me! Get off me!" And he's trying to, but he can't get off me because I'm holding him. And the guy from the point shoots and scores in the empty net, and the goal, the referee says no goal and gives the guy a penalty for interference. And the guy looks at me like he's son of a bitch. You know, he knew exactly what I did. I figured I I can't. I'm not going to get on my feet in time. So I got to find something creative. And I basically created a penalty uh, that they called on that guy. And I said, all right, that's, those are my skills. <laughs> that's how I can get by. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, it's really great. And it, once again, I, I think it, I agree with you. It's something that's been missing is that, that thinking aspect to goaltending. So um, one last question for you, and this is a really broad question. Um, but if there's any goalie coaches, you know, in here listening, what would be a tip that you would give to coaching today's youth goalie? Yep. Um, well, it is broad because youth goalie could be a beginner or could be a bantam, you know, and I'm less like the, the conversation we've had about creativity and letting them try their own things. I'm less concerned about that with a mitre or a squirt where you have to basically tell them, Stay on your feet, respect angles, and so forth. You get older goalies, I think you can let them do a little bit more. So maybe, maybe the, the tip is, you know, know your age group and, and coach to what they can do. I mean, a parent will say to me, hey, you know, we, we rotate. Everybody has to play goal a little bit. And my kid's turns tonight, what do you, which I tell them. I said, have his, uh, have his toes on the top of the crease, his stick on the ice, take little steps. And when the puck hits him, fall on it. He goes, that's it? I said, yeah. What do you want me to do? He's playing for the first time. Stay in your feet, out of the net, tie up the puck. You know, But I actually do think, as we move to the upper levels, techniques change, equipment changes, um, but positioning, puck control, and, and the ability to compete, those are such universal uh, skills, though the positioning even has changed, where there's, where there's not the emphasis on depth. But still, you got to be in the middle. You have to respect angles. You have to control the puck, and you have to compete. So those things don't change. So if you're going to work with goalies, how is their positioning? How is their puck control? And do they compete? And if they don't compete, if they're not innately a competitor, they, they're really wasting their time in that position and their parents' time and their parents' money. And, you know, sometimes the kid's there because the father wants them to be there. Sometimes, you know, I used to hate it when I'd see a kid who, plays out on one team and goalie on the other, which I think is great. And because the program was short on goalies, they're making him be a goalie, depriving him of the ability to do both, which will help him if he eventually becomes, he or she becomes a goalie full-time. All that time skating out improves your skating, improves your knowledge of the game, improves your ability to anticipate and read. And by forcing them to be a goalie because your program's light on goalies, they're really hurting that kid's development as a goalie. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you're a hundred percent spot on, and I love that compete factor, and that's something for like me personally. I, I loved because that's when I made the the best saves. That's when I made the coolest saves that I would just rem <laughs> remember because that to me playing goalie was like golf, where you could hit some bad shots, you could give up some bad goals in practice, but then it was like that one sick save that you had yeah, and then yeah. all of a sudden that keeps you coming back for even if you had a bad day 
Um, but yeah, I mean, it, none of that comes. I personally feel you don't get the the awesome saves if you don't have that compete factor. Well, how about when you say, "Hey, at the start of a drill or a practice, hey, I need a goalie down here," and you look and there's a bunch of guys looking at each other to see who's going to go in, and that bothers me so much. You guys should be fighting each other to get out in that net, not looking to see who goes in. And I worry about if you got four guys and they're all looking to see who's going to go. None of them are competitors then. You know, there should be that one guy that won't even get out of the net when it's his turn to get out. But I'm seeing the opposite of that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, a lot of nuggets here for for goalies and for goalie coaches to to learn from someone who's been around the game for such an uh, such a long period of time and has has done so much to change the game. And um, congratulations on the Lester Patrick Award, and look forward to. Uh, seeing that uh, honored at the uh, at the hall of fame award ceremony um, but joe i know you're busy and and thank you so much for your time uh, any last thoughts to leave the uh, leave the group with before we uh, sign off no just um it, it, as i said it's a it's it's been a pretty heady stuff since this award was announced and then you realize you're getting an award for all the benefits you've had <laughs> you've gotten to do all these things um so I, I guess, you know, for everybody else that's in the game, everybody can make their mark. You don't have to do something spectacular. Um, and I always thought of all the things I did, it was it was just every day going out and doing your job, whether it was at a desk or on the ice. And those things don't get written up in bios or press releases. They look for these big things. And, but it's it's just going out every day and trying to do your job and, and, uh, and doing it as best you can. Awesome. Thank you so much, Joe. I appreciate it. And to everyone that made it this far, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you all in a few weeks.